Welcome to the watermarkoc.church podcast. Thank you for listening. You know, I just want to tell one really quick story to illustrate this. It was so cool. It happened the other day. Um, I was reading to my three-year-old in his bed, little nighttime parables. It's this huge book, like this big, and it just has like six parables, some of the most popular parables, uh, paraphrased, again, for a little guy. And we're reading this one about the blind man on the side of the road. And at the end of the chapter, it always has this prompt, what did you learn? And there's like even options, like three different bullet points of what the kid could say, right? And, and so I say, what did you learn? And, and my three-year-old in his little like stuttering, just, you know, all over the place voice says, and God and the angel came and said, do not be afraid. And I said, wow, cool. That's not at all from this story we just read. Um, but I have a feeling that sounds a little bit like, you know, the angel coming to Mary and announcing the big job that she had ahead of her. And, and so sure enough, that same week I went, I asked our, 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 our children's pastor, Robin. I said, Robin, you guys are obviously going through Advent, right? You read this story? She said, yep. And guys, I'm just telling you, seriously, I know I'm leaning into this, but there's a value, this value of embed the Bible and everything. It works best when it's here at church and it's in the home. The combined influence when the church and the home are working together to just shine that light on God's word, powerful things can happen. From the mouth of a three-year-old, I can hear the simple truth of what he remembered about how the angel spoke to Mary. I mean, how cool is that? So that's a value we carry, and that's why we listen to the, the, the first chapter, the first 18 verses of John in this series, which is called Fresh. We're taking a new look at the classic nativity story, how Jesus came to the earth. And, you know, we kicked the series off a couple weeks ago. Jerry, who's kind of a, a guest teaching pastor, uh, he came and he, he started it off and he talked about a lot of things. But he talked about how God and his transcendent nature, the same God who created the, earth, well, the whole universe in Genesis, was present and co-creating with Jesus before the beginning of time, Jesus, God, they were co-equal and co-creating together there. And then Jesus came, and John says that that was you know, one and the same man. So he said that even though God, though we can't fathom him in all of his complexity, he's so far away in that way, he also came tremendously near by sending a piece of himself in Jesus on Christmas. And so though it's this, this complex mystery, he also came so near. And, and Jerry left us with that challenge, how can you let Jesus invade your world this Christmas time? And then last week, Bucky gave us just an awesome reminder that though we live in, in a somewhat dark world where there's real, serious realities, global realities, heaviness, the weight and burden of this world, though it is great, every single one of us are reflectors of that light that came into the world that's talked about here in John. When Jesus came, he was the light and life, and he brought life to the whole world. And we're called, that was Bucky's challenge to us, we're called to be reflectors of that light. And he said, and this was key because it's a great transition for this morning, he said that that should be true because that's an inherent part of our design and our purpose, is to be those reflectors. And I think that's so wonderful, especially for what we're going to talk about this morning, because our identity, that's our identity. The purpose and the design inside ourselves, that's really our identity. And it's like every single one of us is busy becoming. And that's really what I want to talk about this morning. What are we becoming? The things of becoming. All of us in the room, we're, we're, we're striving towards some kind of becoming. Becoming successful. Becoming beautiful. Becoming secure. Becoming fill in the blank. Every single one of us has those strivings and that hunger of what we're becoming. But what is so wonderful, you guys, about this Christmas time and the story dictated in the, in the Gospel of John is that there's really only one thing that we should be worried about becoming. And that's children of God. 
that we can become children of God, and that will inform and impact everything else. Everything else will flow from that. So here's my focal point. I have three verses this morning. I just want to march through these three verses. Would that be okay if we did that right now? Okay, let's look at this. Here it is. Verse 11. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right or the power or the authority to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. And there's something that I want you to see really quickly, and this is our first thing. Of course, the background's going to be red, and my letters are going to be red. (laughs) Just look for where the letters are blanked out at the top of the slide. And I think it's so critical. It says, he came to his own. He came to his own. I want you to think about your own, our own, our people, the people we're surrounded by in Christmas time, right? It's kind of a mixed bag, isn't it? Whether you're at the holiday staff party, I heard from a friend the other day that their staff party was on a boat. Uh, we're near the coast. That's really cool. Um, but they were on the boat for five hours. Um, so that can be, feel a little bit intense, especially if you don't know your crowd, um, to be out there in the water, no place to churn um, with your, your staff, who's kind of a mixed bag. That's their own, your own people that you work with. You spend a lot of hours with the people you work with. That's your own, our own, Right? And though uh, Christmas time, when it comes to arriving at our own, our people, um, it can be a little awkward. Uh, it can be filled with genuine joy and happiness. And you can be so pumped for this moment when you get to be with family you haven't seen in a long time. It can also be filled with genuine pain and, and, and the sting of rejection or, or past wounds. Uh, there's another friend from, from the church I used to work at. and He came over for dinner the other night. And he was telling us about his family Thanksgiving. His mom was hosting the Thanksgiving dinner, and so they had all the nephews and nieces and uncles, aunts, grandparents over to the house, and um, uh, his mom, who was the host, again, got this text message after the event from one of the nephews saying, just go ahead and lose my number, lose my number, you're dead to me. That was his text message. That was that. You want to know what it was that, that started him off, that made him so fuming? It was the fact that his aunt had forgotten his new girlfriend's name. That's painful, isn't it? So painful. What, what is, is it really worth it? But some of us, as awkward as that may be, as ridiculous as an excuse as that may be, that was pain the, on both sides. Isn't that what's ironic? Is that the, the young nephew who was there felt the pain of, you know, oh, yeah, it's another girl I'm bringing over to the house. And yet the aunt who was the host and was trying to show love felt rejection for, you know, putting this whole thing on. And I just want to say, I want to start with this word of encouragement because I know there's someone here who needs to hear this this morning. But regardless of, uh, of kind of the posture or the heart you have coming into your own, your own people, I want you to know that if you're feeling discouraged, if you're feeling isolated or alone or challenged by, by what this season represents, I want you to understand that you have a friend in Jesus. You have a friend in Jesus. You're in some of the best company in the whole world because no one knows this thing of rejection like he knows. When he was betrayed by those who were supposed to be closest to him, he faced rejection like none of us may ever feel. But when you're in that moment, and this is what becoming is, and we're talking about the things of becoming. So what does it mean to become children of God? Sometimes in those seasons, those moments, you have to understand that God's pushing you to trust, to trust him in that rejection, in that sting, in that loneliness, that he is never closer than when you're feeling those same things that he felt when he came near and and he laid it all on the cross. So I want you to know that that's one of the things, that's what becoming looks like. 
Believing and receiving. Here's another, here's your next blanked out slide. Okay, it says, yet for those who received and those who believed, I'm going to flip it for our purposes. That's what, I think God will allow me to do that. He knows me. He's good. We're okay. He forgives me. I, I want to talk about believing and receiving. What does that have to do with becoming? What does that have to do with becoming a child of God? Is this basic stuff just to believe, to say yes to Jesus and, and move along? I would challenge us that there's something deeper than that. Because before we ever get to that statement, before we ever get to that place that says, yes, I believe that Jesus is the one and only truth, the only hope of salvation, and the only way to transform my life is through the name of Jesus. Before you even get there, there's an acknowledgement that happens. There's this thing that happens where we have to accept that we've fallen short. Or we've fallen short. And there's this thing that, called sin that would separate us. And if you're, if you're new to church this morning, I would just say, even if you don't have that language yet of sin, and maybe that feels really loaded, and you're like, great, I came on the family holiday weekend, and here comes the sin hammer, and we're about to get slammed. I would just say, you know that thing inside yourself. That's not perfect. That's not always pure. That's not always good. And we would call that in the church, we'd call that sin. And, and, and I, I, I used to hate to tell people that they're sinners. <laughs> I know that even sounds ridiculous right now. Um, and then I heard the definition of really, the operating definition for me of what sin even is. Okay? And what I would say sin is, is any word, thought, or deed that falls short of glorifying God. Any word, thought, or deed that falls short of glorifying God. That's helpful for me. And, and, and you know, I'm, I'm feeling very blessed this morning because as the biggest sinner in the room, I'm thankful for my Jesus. I'm thankful that uh, he is the only name that saves. I'm thankful that there's hope in him. I'm stoked there's this Jesus. You know, it's one of my favorite verses. I think it even might be on a poster in the hall right now. But Romans 5.8, it says that this is how much God loved you, that while you were still a sinner, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's tremendous. That's an unparalleled truth. That's what it means to become. We're talking about becoming. What does it look like? And I would say that's a huge part of becoming. And what's so cool, you guys, I found this in my notes as I was doing some research. As God... He, he could not die for, for us. As God in heaven, right, the Father, he could not die for us. But as a man, he could. As a man, he could. And his aim was to die. When we think about this Christ child, we have a manger up here. We think about this baby Jesus. Well, it makes me think of this. Just look at this. This very short quote just made me think of this. When it comes to becoming, believing, and receiving, Good Friday is the reason for Christmas. Did you ever think about that? Let us be reminded then. Let us be reminded When we think about that, Good Friday, which we celebrate as a church, the day that Jesus was hung on a cross, we celebrate such a thing. I know, crazy, but because of the reason I just said, because there was distance between me and him, but the cross broke down that barrier. And we understand that when we think about the manger and the beautiful story of the baby, I don't know how beautiful it is. He's there with like the animal dung and the hay, and it's pretty rough. But that moment happened. The why behind that is Good Friday, that he could be sent so that he could go to the cross for us. That's what becoming is is believing that we even have a need this Christmas. We think about those who are awkward in our, our own. We think about those who we faced rejection or hurt in our own. Think about that. Let that soften your heart a little bit, that we have a need too, because if we have junk too. And maybe we're the awkward one. And maybe we're the painful one who's entering the room. And how can we pause and become children of God by understanding, thank you, that he even came to this world in order to die for us. That's what becoming looks like. Okay, receiving. 
It says believing and receiving. Well, what's the big difference, okay? Isn't receiving believing and believing is receiving? And isn't seeing believing? I think I'm channeling Christmas movies now. Um, If you guys got the quote from the movie, I don't know what movie, but you just have to go with me, okay? There is a difference. I think there is a degree here that John wants us to see. For those who believed and yet those who received, what does receiving mean? You want to know the difference? Here's the difference. It's not merely so much. I'm talking to us in the room who have been Christians for some time. Okay, so often we're good on the intellectual acceptance of the truth, of the doctrine and the covenants and, and, the, and the scriptures. We're good intellectually, but as you know for any amount of time, that that's not what matters. It's not until that intellectual stuff drops down into your heart and starts to move you. Something happens because of that. And, and I think there's this wonderful quote that just, oh my gosh, hit me right between the eyes. This is from Piper, okay? This is what it says. It says, receiving Jesus does not mean a kind of peaceful coexistence with the Christ who makes no claims. Receiving Jesus means taking him into your life, your home, your school, your work, your marriage, your dreams, for who he really is. I I have to read that one more time because I think we may have missed it, especially this first sentence. Let me just read this first sentence again. Receiving Jesus does not mean a kind of peaceful coexistence with the Christ who makes no claims. He's not this um, teddy bear that we cozy up to at night, and uh, we're a vision, now we're a child, we're a child here, and we get the teddy bear, and it makes us feel warm and cozy, we've had it forever, it's so tattered, I won't go to sleep without my teddy bear, it makes me feel so full of love and warmth, and now I can go to sleep, and then what do I do when I wake up in the morning? Oh, I just tuck teddy bear back in his covers, and I go about my day, and leave my Jesus back in the bed. But some of us are living that way. A Jesus who makes no claims... Who wants to follow a God who doesn't want to take a claim in your heart, in my heart, in my life, in the hours that our lives are composed of, in your home, in your school, in your work, in your marriage, in your dreams? Is he taking a greater and greater proportion of those things? Do they belong to him? That's what receiving means. That's what receiving is. And, you know, when I think about this word uh, receiving, it, it makes me think of the classic, this is another classic Christian cultural piece, okay? Because there's this wonderful thing, the sinner's prayer. Well, we're talking about sinners. Let's just talk about the sinner's prayer. And there's something about, oh, young man or young lady, have you accepted Jesus into your heart? Have you accepted him into your heart? Have you, have you said yes to Jesus and accepted him into your heart today? From TV, you can picture the televangelist. Have you accepted him into your heart and then I went to Christian college, right? And there's all these jaded Christian kids there, and they're like, oh, did you know that's not even in the Bible? <laughs> that phrase like that is not even in the Bible. And they want to prove you wrong, and they're like abolishing everything you knew as a kid about the sinner's prayer. And you're like, oh, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, no, I knew that for sure. I knew that. I'm cool too. I'm jaded. We're all jaded. And then you graduate, and you mellow out a little bit, and you figure out, okay, cool. I don't have to take such a hard line. It's a wonderful thing. But maybe we just add something. We're talking about receiving. What does it mean to become? One of the things that it means to become is something like this. Let's just imagine. Have you asked Jesus into your heart? Great. That's line one. Let's add a part, part two to it. And have you asked him to take over your heart day over day over day over day over day over day over day? Have you asked him into that? Because what a wonderful thing that you're saved. What a wonderful thing that you have new faith. But becoming, what real becoming looks like, is this idea of what John's talking about in receiving. It means that we believe in a God that makes claims. 
He won't settle for small percentages or slivers or parts of our heart. And I can just leave this thing tucked away in the bed and I can walk away and go do the rest on my initiative, on my dream, on my purpose. That's not the way it works. Beautiful picture of receiving. That's what becoming a child looks like. And yet, then we get to the crux of the issue. Children of God. There it is. Your next blinded out, blacked out, redded out, red Christmas red everywhere. Children of God. He gave the right to become children of God. I want to talk about uh, two types of kids, okay? You think you know where I'm going. You do. You think you know where I'm going right now. But just watch. Hang with me, okay? Here's two types of kids. I want to talk about Israel, which is technically one kid, okay? A group of kids. This is, the, this is God's chosen people. Uh, a lot of you know this by now, but if you think about Israel, they are, they are the conduit. They are the first family of which Jesus will come. Jesus will come from this family line. And Israel is important because this is, as you look at the Bible, this is God's history plan. Uh, his, his salvation history plan, excuse me. And that started with these rather critical people, Israel, referred to as his children. I want to give you an example of them as the two types. Just this one group, they're, they're really one, let's just pretend they're one child, okay? And two types of this one child. Look at what the Bible says. This is what it says in Deuteronomy 32. They are corrupt and not his children. To their shame, they are a warped and crooked generation. Ouch. Scathing words for a chosen body meant to bring salvation to the world. But then it goes on in Exodus 4.22. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me. Exodus 22. First of all, I just want to say this. Thank God for Israel. (laughs) Thank God. If you read it, guys, and I recommend you do, you can tear through the first couple books of the Bible, first two or three books of the Bible in one sitting. Go back over this Christmas time. As as you're going to talk about Advent, and you want to talk about this, this, this manger, start over there and talk about the first three books of the Bible and just read it. But what's beautiful about it is you see this chosen group of people fumbling and stumbling their way through life. They are this foolhardy, ridiculous group that sometimes gets it, but most time they're just grumbling and disobedience. That's this picture of a child. You have both, don't you? And that's the complexity and the mystery of what we're talking about in the book of John. And what we have to do, what you and I have to do, because you thought maybe I was going to go down prodigal son. Oh, here he comes. Here he comes. He's talking about two types of kids. He's going to hit us with the prodigal son. Go on, Ben. Go ahead. Do prodigal son. You've got the wayward son, and he pieces out and squanders his riches, comes back with his tail between his legs, and then sweet little baby boy son. Yes, daddy. Whatever you say, daddy. I'm ready to hustle, daddy. At your marching orders, daddy. And he's just doing his thing. When you read those stories, the temptation is to force this dichotomy, which is what we do in the West, right? Conservative, liberal, Republican, Democrat, blah, blah, fill in the blank. We always force in this dichotomy. And what God's saying is, I'm looking at the action in your heart. That's what becoming is all about. What becoming is, is stop forcing this dichotomy. Because the truth is, you recognize yourself, at least you should, you and me. You recognize yourself in both of those young men. And you should recognize yourself in the body of Israel. That though we are fallen, we also have this tremendous favor. We found favor in this God who says, you're my children. And he's making a claim to us as his children. It's important to change the way we think even if we want to become this becoming children. And so he goes on. He says, uh, children of God, but children not of natural descent. What does that mean for becoming? This whole natural descent piece. You know, I love my father-in-law. He's an amazing leader to me, amazing man. He sat down with me when I asked for his daughter's hand in marriage, and he said, 
you need to think about X, Y, Z, young man. And I went and I thought about it. And he had good word for me then, and he has a good word for me today, and I'm so thankful for him. And one of the things that he's done so good in his preaching legacy is remind us that the transformation spoken about here, becoming children of God, is an inside-out sort of reality. That's what becoming is. And so when you think about natural descent, the world's deal is that sometimes as a child, and think about this in, in, in natural terms now, as your actual human family members, Sometimes a family member is, is only skin deep. Is that right? They carry your name and they carry the factor of resemblance, but that's as far as it goes. You know someone either directly or you know someone who knows someone. That's a tough point for them in the holiday season is that they're having a rough point with this wayward, this individual who just doesn't associate past blood, nothing past that. And that's because the measure of this world, the becoming, becoming what it looks like for this world is that perception is reality. If I put up the face, well, I saw it, so it's true. And as long as I upkeep what's going on out here, as long as I keep this posture and keep this happy face and this successful face and this posture, then I'm okay. I've, I've found success in terms of becoming in the world standards. But that's not our way. That's not the kingdom way. The kingdom, this word used in, in, the, in the Gospels, mostly by Jesus, it just means administration. It means his reign. That's the reign or administration Think of it as a literal presidential administration of Jesus. That's not the kingdom way of becoming. The kingdom way of becoming is a deep work of the heart. Like I've said, it's not merely this doctrinal agreement to, to statements and facts. And let me just, let's pause for a second. Let's pause and just examine for a moment because we have an awesome opportunity to practice this real time right here, Sunday morning. Let's examine ourselves in our own heart by asking one very powerful question. One potentially powerful question. I want to know, do we spend a greater percentage of time, A, examining our own heart and responding to how God wants to grow it? Do we we respond typically, A, by examining our own heart and responding to how God wants to grow it? Or B, do we spend a greater percentage of our time examining the heart and manner of those around us? B, do we spend a greater proportion of our time examining the heart and manner of all of those around us? I'm telling you, you guys, we've got to get at the answer to that question. We need to get at the answer to that question because I just want to envision the hopeful one that you and me, as individuals and as representatives of Jesus, as Bucky said last week, as reflectors of his light out in the community and out in the world, that if we focused more on A, on our own heart introspection and then, and then working on what God's laid out for us to work on. I want to focus on what that could look like in the world. What a beautiful picture that would paint. Just imagine a world where we're more consumed and more possessed with our own transformation than the judgment of others. Imagine what that could look like. That's the picture. That's what we're aiming towards. You know, uh, my wife and I, we've been... Um, blessed enough to be a part of uh, foster adoption. We, uh, it was one of those things, we both traveled overseas and we had seen kids discarded, we'd seen homeless kids, we'd seen kids abandoned and, and, and sold into trafficking. And so we always said to ourselves, man, that's something that we'd be interested in. We should look into that. And, and God somehow allowed us, uh, even after we started having our, our biological kids, he allowed us to go through the licensing process 
And we just kept saying, okay, like, okay, so it's a six-week class for three hours a night. We'll just check it out. We'll get our, we'll get trained. And, okay, they're going to come and do our home inspection, so it's, you know, it's safe. All right. And we just kept saying yes, kept saying yes, kept saying yes, until one day we're on family vacation in Colorado, and we get a call. It says, hey, we have this baby girl. She's two months old. doesn't look like her biological parents are going to be able to do it. You have three days to decide. And so here we are like, well, we said that we would do this thing, and we just keep walking through the door, and God just keeps letting us walk through the door, and, and now we have the call. Can we rule out, can we come up with any possible reason why we have to say no right now? How's our marriage? Good. How's our current biological kids? Decent enough. Um, how's the work-life balance? Cool. Everything's good. We, can't, we just can't say no, so we say yes, and we get this beautiful gift of a child in Selah. And after a year's time or so, Sayla's adopted. We go through the foster experience, and she's adopted. And, and she's a beautiful blessing in our lives. And there was tough weeks when we didn't know what was going to happen, and yet we got her, and she's adopted. And, you know, in the few nights, every now and then when I can um, get out of my bed, and we're done the whole bedtime routine, and I'm going to go tuck the babies in, every now and then, I, you know, I offer some prayers for them. And I'm praying over them. And, and you know, for Sayla, I, I don't pray that she'll be the prettiest or the smartest I don't pray that she'll really love her, her last name and her new identity, that she'll never question where she came from, and, and she won't have any hang-ups about that. I, I, don't, I don't pray that, she, that she'll never rebel against us when she hears the news that she was adopted. What, what, I'm telling you, I don't know, it's not my prayer, maybe God gave me this prayer, but when I'm standing there over a crib and I'm praying for her, I pray that with total certainty and security, she would know she's a child of God. That, that if nothing else... She didn't like to be with her brothers and sisters. She didn't like her mom and dad. It was just too much of an obstacle. I just would pray that she carries that conviction all the days of her life. She knows she's a child of God, and that's all that matters. That's my prayer, and that's what it looks like to become. That's a piece of becoming. It's to understand that though natural descent is just skin deep and is just a reflection, that what happens from the inside out is a thing that will transfer into eternity. That's what becoming looks like. Now he goes on, there's there's one more thing at least of what it means to become. He says, born of God. He ends out this statement by saying, born of God. Not of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. What an interesting picture. There's so many things here. Are Are we his kids? Are we not his kids? Did he do it? Do we do it? What's the complexity and the mystery here of what he's talking about? Not of natural descent, but then we're born of him? What are we talking about? And I want to put for you real plainly, and this is the last couple of things I'm going to share, and then we're going to take communion. The band's going to come up. We're going to take communion. But here's the bottom line. I want to reduce it for you. You and I, we were born of God by no merit of our own. We haven't done anything yet. I'm not talking about metaphorically born. I mean literally born. Born, you've given, it's, called a, it's a piece of sovereign grace. That just being born as image bearers, that's what it says in Genesis, they were, they were in the likeness, they were in the likeness and image of the creator. Before they'd ever done anything, good, right, or indifferent. They were given the sovereign grace. What does it mean? It means that he chose us first. Let that sink in for a second. Our, our, one of our good friends, a member of the church, Mark Rogers, he always talks about this. Every single one of us, you and me, in our minds, we have this negativity bias. It's, in our, it's, in, it's neuroscience. You could just Google the neuroscience behind it. But every single one of us has this negativity bias. No matter how secure we've been raised and how the wonderful things we've been told and everyone gets a trophy and everyone's a winner, still, at the end of the day, when someone tells us a truth such as this, we're tempted to believe the opposite or believe it's not true. It's a negativity bias. I see some heads nodding. I think you know what I'm talking about. 
All of us have felt that sting of we're not enough or we need to do more, we're not good enough. He chose us first. As an image bearer in this room, that's no small thing. I hope that you're receiving that. I hope you understand that's a part of becoming. And, not but, but and. He chose us first and we still get this opportunity to say yes to the name of Jesus. And when we do that, in that moment, we not only have new birth, but we have the right and authority as fallen people, as sinners, to claim that inheritance as a child of God. Back up to that word before. It's not highlighted, but you can see it even better. That worked out nice. He's been given the right. You gave, he gave the right. As you look at different translations, it says authority. It says power. That's how it happened. And the band's going to come up right now, and we're going to take communion as this beautiful picture of a reminder. We always think of communion as this thing, yes, where we get to ask for forgiveness and the blood, the blood and the body signified, right, by the bread and the wine. Um, we get to do forgiveness all over again every week, and God knows I need it. But there's this great second, at least a second piece of what it means to participate in communion, which is God, and this is what I pray when I go up there, God, take my heart this week. In greater and greater proportion, Jesus, the parts I'm holding on to, the parts I'm holding back, let me become. In the areas of becoming where I need to show up, Jesus, I need to respond to your beautiful grace, being born in the image, being born of God, let me respond in that way. And I want to I end with one more illustration of what becoming looks like. We're talking about children of God, and, and part of that is just evokes this amazing picture of adoption, which I, you could do a whole another separate series on adoption. It's a beautiful biblical image. Um, and I, I can't help but talk about our second placement. We had a second child, that's what they call it in the, in the business, as a placement. Um, and uh, he came to us at two days old, a little crusade, as we call him, Cruz for short, crew. And um, he's still going through the foster, foster leg of the journey. Um, he's not officially ours yet, legally ours yet. And so we show up. One of the things is that there's a, a, a court-awarded uh, visits, visitation for the birth parents because the birth mom is still very much in the picture. And I get to see her, and, and those visits have been going on for about five months. And, and for every visit for, you know, prior to a month ago, I'd go, and I'd hang out with her and talk to her and help her with the baby a little bit. And then about three, four weeks ago, they recommended a visitation coach, right? It's called a visit, and there's a, it's a social worker social worker comes in and, and helps facilitate the visit and helps mom out and, and gives her some tips and some pointers about learning to become a parent. And um, so for the last three weeks, I've had this practice of going and, and dropping them off. And uh, two or three weeks ago, I drop him off and make sure that they see his baby bag and they have all the supplies. He's ready to go. Okay, bye-bye. And, and 15 minutes later, we get this call. Um, from the birth mom, hey Ben, I think he might have a fever. He's so upset. He's he's screaming incontrollably. Uh, maybe you guys should come back and get him. And um, the truth is, we went to pick him up, and he didn't have a fever. He was totally healthy. We went to a doctor's appointment that day. No no fever. He's, he's healthy and whole. He was upset because he didn't want to leave my arms. Uh, he was upset because his his parents are are becoming strangers to him. His biological parents are becoming strangers to him. And then the same thing, you know, last week I go to drop him off and I put him in his mom's arms and he's like face droops and he's bending over to try and get out and come back to my arms. And, and it's sad, it is. It's sad on both sides and, and it's unnatural, this whole thing. And, it, and it's emotional, probably for her and for us too, because, because what? Because this child's becoming. God has afforded us this beautiful picture of what becoming really is. 
He was rejected at birth. His own, his own could not take care of him. So he knows rejection. And he was, he's, going to be, he's going to be one years old next month. And, and in that time, he is receiving. He's believing that there's a picture of what parents look like, what a father and what a mother looks like, and what sonship looks like. He's receiving and he's believing. And in turn, our hearts, right, we're making claims to him. And he's becoming our child not by any decision of his own, but by, by, and not by natural descent, uh, but, but what's happened inside his heart. He's becoming, we're becoming with him. And of course, he's been born of God. He bears the image. He bears this total and perfect, beautiful image of of one of God's own. And though we don't know what's going to happen in the future, we're hopeful. We have days of optimism, but it's a challenge. We know that when we pray, and another friend from this church encouraged us that their prayer was very strategic. It was simply this, that that child will grow up in the home where he has the best odds to know the name of Jesus and to know what true spiritual adoption looks like. And that's a beautiful prayer. And that's what we have to hold on to as we're pushed into the season of trust, as he's becoming and we're becoming and our hearts are getting tied up in this. And I understand that not all of us in the room have this picture. So therefore, I just submit to you, what is it in rejection that either you've experienced or someone's experienced on your behalf In rejection of his own, how is God calling you to become? What is the becoming peace that he's calling you into? In receiving and believing, how was he inviting you to become? As children of God, not of natural descent, how is he inviting you to become? A greater percentage of becoming in your hearts and in your minds as he makes claims, very real and tangible claims, born of God. How is he asking you to become? Let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you for this morning. Thank you, God, for the truth and the reality of your word that we have been given the sovereign grace born into your family as image bearers. And yet, Jesus, you face us with every single opportunity. Your word says that the heavens, the heavens and earth declare your majesty. That even if, the, if, the, if there were no human beings on earth, the rocks would cry out and worship you. That's because from top to bottom, we're giving opportunities to see your face, hear your name, and respond with all that we are. So Jesus, this morning I pray for everyone in a seat and for us up here, Father, please invite us into becoming. Show us the things of becoming that we would not forsake them or avoid them, that we'd lean into them, and you could take portions of our heart, Jesus. You take great swaths of our heart, Jesus. That you'd leave no stone unturned, Father, because you're taking back what's yours to begin with as born of God. That's my prayer this morning, Jesus. To find out more about us, go online to watermarkoc.church. 